It isn't about one person against another person. For me, it's systemic. Tonight, the growing protest outside the home of the Delta police chief and his wife. Plus... I actually hope we continue with this after the pandemic. The low-cost restaurant tool that's helping one lower mainland hospital keep patients safe. And... I think it will make that difference between us staying alive or shutting down. How taking it outside could be the lifeline BC breweries need right now. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking news. Protesters targeting the home of Delta's police chief following growing questions about the department's handling of an incident involving the chief's wife. Paul Johnson joins us live in Delta. Paul. Hi, Colleen. One week after this incident, and it's still triggering an emotional response. There was a small demonstration, about 25 people outside the home here at Centennial Beach where this incident allegedly happened last week. Clearly, what's motivating these demonstrators is their understanding of the incident itself, combined with the fact that it happened at a time when racial justice has become an international movement. Here we had a woman of South Asian descent who says she was verbally confronted by the white homeowner here. And she says she was sprayed in the face with a hose after apparently getting too close to the homeowner's fence. The homeowner has apologized. She's disputing some of the facts of that story. But the allegations, combined with the climate we're in, have given this story a lot of staying power. Here's what some of the demonstrators had to say. You're a human being. You don't deserve to be sprayed in the face because you're on some on rocks in front of somebody's house that they don't own. For me, it's systemic. And it's just another example of how things pile on people daily. She was crossing rocks to get to her car and she got hosed in the face and verbally assaulted. Now, of course, there's this other intriguing dimension to this story that the woman accused here, Lorraine Dubord, is married to the chief of police here in Delta. And for that reason, to avoid a conflict of interest, the investigation has now been handed to Surrey RCMP. And as well, this weekend, we heard from Delta police who put out a statement saying they take this very seriously and they've launched now an internal review to look at the way this complaint was received and how it was handled. Colleen. All right, Paul, thank you. A Langley High School principal and the district are apologizing after a Facebook year, a blackface rather, yearbook photo surfaced from 13 years ago. The photo posted to the Instagram account Black Vancouver shows Langley Fine Arts School principal John Bonner in blackface as part of a Halloween costume when he was vice principal in 2007. Bonner says he and the then principal, who was black, dressed up as one another with the principal painting his face white. In a written apology, Bonner admits it was wrong and that it never should have happened. It's unclear how the blackface photo made it into the yearbook or why it wasn't addressed earlier. It's just very disheartening to hear because, I mean, I was a student, we were all a student, you know, at a point in our lives. And usually school is a way for you to learn and um, it's, is there to, our leaders are there to guide us. For a child who is Black to see a leader wearing blackface, to me, I would feel as though I'm not protected. I would feel as though my teachers don't care about me. Um, even an apology, I feel like at the end of the day, they're just empty words because he should have never done that to begin with. 
The deputy chief of the VPD is adamant there is no systemic racism in the force. It comes on the heels of calls from the mayor, First Nations and civil liberties groups to ban street checks. A street check is when an officer encounters someone believed to be involved in criminal activity or a suspicious circumstance and documents the interaction. Police say they are neither random nor arbitrary. Since new rules came into effect in January, the police union says street checks have been reduced by about 90 percent. Howard Chow says the VPD now documents about one street check per officer per year and that they play an invaluable role in public safety. Where's the data that's informing others out there in elected official positions or otherwise it's suggesting that it's widespread, it's pervasive in the halls of Vancouver. I've been a police officer for 31 years and I've also been wearing this skin, Chinese Canadian, for 54 years. And I can tell you that I would not work for an organization where I felt that there was widespread pervasive racism amongst our halls. I just wouldn't. BC's healthcare system is in the process of clearing the considerable backlog of cancelled surgeries, a backlog created in response to the pandemic. Well, now staff at one Vancouver hospital have turned to a strategy many restaurants use to manage lineups. But in this case, it's helping increase the number of procedures while keeping patients safe. Erin MacArthur explains how it works. Oh, hey. Thank you. The buzzing means the table is ready but not at a restaurant. This is a surgical waiting room at Mount St. Joseph's. Yeah, some of them joke around about table for one or bed for one. Restarting three operating rooms with 60 patients a day was always going to be difficult while maintaining social distancing. The solution for the ophthalmology department came from some out of the box thinking and Amazon. Uh, $289. Canadian or US? Canadian. Got it in four days. The waiting room has been scaled back to just four chairs. Patients arrive at prearranged times and then wait for their pager to beep before going in. Surgeons say this new system actually works better. It used to be that we had um, the, the waiting room was just jammed. I, I actually hope we continue with this after the pandemic is, is uh, taken care of because it's so much kind of calmer in here. According to the minister, across the healthcare system, things are running near normal volume. To have arrived at this point and to be consistently doing 6,000 6, plus surgeries three weeks in a row demonstrates the commitment of all those involved. But 100% of capacity doesn't begin to address the huge backlog created by the three-month hiatus. Saturday we started the first extra cataract surgeries in this department and we'll be doing that every month and this will be able to give extra capacity to try and get more surgeries done so we can get more of our patients through. Other departments, including the ER, have seen the pager system at work and are now using them as well. Okay, and we're just going to wait for her to come a in. A simple solution Perfect. to a complex problem. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The management of a Vancouver strip club has issued a statement about possible exposure to COVID-19 at their establishment last week. Health officials are warning anyone who was at Brandy's Exotic Show Lounge between the evenings of June 21st to 24th and into the early hours of the 25th that they may have been exposed to the virus. Several people at the lounge on those dates have already tested positive. Coastal health officials advise anyone there on those dates to monitor their health closely for 14 days. 
Brandeis Management says the moment public health officials informed us of the situation, we immediately took all possible steps to help public health track and isolate anyone who had been exposed. Since then, we have fully sanitized our facility and are working directly with public health officials to enhance our already stringent health and safety procedures. We look forward to resuming safe operations in the near future. Brandy's remains closed. The city of Vancouver has been working to expand patios at restaurants and bars in order to help them survive. Well, now their attention is turning to local breweries, wineries and distilleries. And as Grace Key reports, the help can come soon enough. At Pell Street Craft Brewery, you can pop in to pick up your favorite beer, but what you can't do is have a cold one on site. But that could soon change if they get a patio. It's fairly dire. I think it will make that difference between us staying alive or shutting down. Yeah, it's, it's sad to think about it that way, but COVID has been a big struggle for us. Co-owner David Boquette will be putting these benches out the moment he gets his permit. The city of Vancouver could soon be allowing breweries, wineries and distilleries to have outdoor patios on private property. This is part of a motion first introduced by Councillor Sarah Kirby-Young and it's something she hopes will extend beyond this summer. I actually think that this is a huge opportunity to have a legacy for the city where we have more vibrant use of our public space and you can just see today where it's a beautiful sunny day and there are people flocking and out to patios everywhere so I'd love to see this carry on for Vancouver next summer and beyond. The Powell Street Lounge had a 32 person seat capacity. Now it's down to zero and customers are eager for it to reopen. All for the patios, yeah, definitely. Um, the more space, the better. Perfect parking lot right here. Um, yeah, would love to see it. More outdoors, beautiful weather, perfect for summer. Boquette will be speaking at a public hearing on Tuesday. He's also already put in an application for a patio. I've talked to the development manager at the city of Vancouver, and he said as soon as a public hearing gets approved for patios for breweries, uh, he said the next day we would be getting our permit issued. So hopefully... Uh, we get it on July 1st for Canada Day. That'd be fantastic. If approved, you could be sipping a cold one out on a patio until the end of October. Grace Key, Global News. Kelowna's Bernard Avenue will be transformed tomorrow into one giant patio for the summer. 22 businesses will expand into the street, allowing for a significant increase in outdoor seating. Cross streets will remain open. But the owners of some retailers have mixed feelings about the street expansion, saying they'd wished for greater consultation with the city and were not happy to have to pay a fee to use the sidewalk. But the city believes retailers will benefit from an increase in pedestrian traffic. The project will run until September 8th. Whistler Blackcomb will reopen for the summer starting tomorrow. The resort will open with an emphasis on sightseeing and mountain biking. Of course, physical distancing measures will be in effect. Visitors will also be required to wear face coverings in certain areas, including lines for chairlifts, gondolas, or bubble chairs on the activities like the Alpine Slide or Mountain Coaster and at all indoor facilities. Whistler Blackcomb has been closed since March 15th. ICBC announced some of the biggest changes in the company's history last year, and now a new economic analysis suggests a switch to so-called no-fault insurance will lead to some unintended consequences. Richard Zussman has more. Is how ICBC works. For every major crash, dozens of people are involved beyond the crash victim. From adjusters, to lawyers, to physios, the list goes on and on, and each of those elements has a cost. 
And that cost is part of the reason why the province is overhauling the public insurer. All the information I have is that we are on schedule right now for implementation by May 2021. The province says the changes will substantially cut legal bills, reducing the right to sue and the use of legal experts, while increasing benefits a crash victim can access. This will inevitably put lawyers out of work. But they have five years to transition their law firms over to other areas of law. I think that's a generous amount of time. But a new economic analysis shows those changes don't just affect lawyers. The estimate is a move to no fault could eliminate for good between 4,000 to 10,000 jobs across the province. One of the things I think people aren't talking about is that when we go to no fault, it's going to be more than just the lawyers losing their jobs. It's going to be all those support staff that lose it. So paralegals, legal assistants and other support workers. Attorney General David Eby quick to point out there will be up to five years of already existing claims still working through the system under the old model. The reality is, in order to provide the savings around premiums, in order to provide the enhanced benefits of this programs, uh, there are shifts, and this is one of them. But Darren Benning, a beneficiary himself of the current system due to his work preparing expert reports, says no matter when he needs to shift out of work, it's hard. The pie is going to get a lot smaller, so they're not going to need the paralegals, and the paralegals will go somewhere else. But like I said, you're 40 years old, you got to switch careers. It's tough. Benning's final plea? In the time of COVID, where jobs are suddenly disappearing, government should apply the brakes to the change until there can be a better sense of the economic lanes reopening. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Questions tonight following several gruesome discoveries. Headless sea lion carcasses have been found washed up along the shore on Vancouver Island. And a warning, some of these images are disturbing. Nanaimo resident Deborah Short has been photographing the body since March. In total, she's found four dead sea lions and one dead seal. The Department of Oceans and Fisheries says it has seen a slight increase of dead sea lions washing ashore, but that it's a fairly common occurrence. Typically, the animals are washed up intact, but from time to time, their bodies may be tampered with once beached. The DFO says doing so is an offense under the criminal code. I had been online. I started to discover that other people had posted um, photographs on Facebook of sea lions that they had found, um, one near Campbell River that was, I mean, that photograph absolutely, it was not my photograph, but it absolutely um, confirmed that it was a clear sever of the head. Concerns are growing for those along the Fraser River as water levels continue to rise. This is Glen Valley, west of Fort Langley, where some pathways have been roped off and fields flooded. The mission gauge is now measured at 5.8 meters and properties remain under an evacuation alert. There's also a flood watch in place for the entire upper Fraser Valley. On this day in 1981, Terry Fox died of cancer at the age of 22. He began his Marathon of Hope the previous year to raise awareness and funds for cancer research. Despite losing his leg to osteosarcoma, he ran for 143 days and 5,373 kilometers before the cancer returned, forcing him to end his cross-country trek. 39 years later, his legacy lives on in the annual Terry Fox runs across Canada and around the world. Hollywood North is set to start rolling again with two big shows resuming production in Vancouver next month. The multi-billion dollar film industry employs more than 70,000 people in our province. But as Kristen Robinson reports, not everyone will be returning to work under phase three guidelines. Who are you? I'm Dr. Sean Murphy. 
The Good Doctor Season 4. I'm Elizabeth Thatcher. And Season 8 of When Calls the Heart, set to start filming in Vancouver July 20th. Among more than a dozen productions ready to roll in B.C. under pandemic protocols and specific safety plans. A couple of dozen shows have contacted us that are either looking to return or projects that weren't originally going to come to B.C. But before any action, mandatory quarantine. Actors arriving from the U.S. or other countries must self-isolate for 14 days. The people that are on set want to be confident that the the uh, the key talent that's coming in from the United States is, uh, is not going to be shedding any virus uh, while they're working with them. Hollywood North all but shut down in mid-March when 42 productions were halted. Returning to a socially distant set will have its creative challenges. Especially during the intimacy of battle and love scenes. It's very risky in a lot of ways. The actors are the most vulnerable because obviously when they're doing that, they can't be wearing uh, personal protective equipment. While technology can make actors appear closer than they actually are, it can't close the distance keeping some BC productions on hold. Until the border um, opens, we won't be able to, um, to do majority of the shooting that we need to get done. Kathleen Jamie is the filmmaker behind Finding Big Country. Seeing them play inspired me to dream big and follow my own basketball dreams. She's still waiting to do U.S. interviews on her dream project, a feature-length documentary on the Vancouver Grizzlies. As the COVID impact to an industry that injected $3.2 billion into the B.C. economy last year remains unclear. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Jennifer Hudson, just one of many contributors from around the world for the virtual concert Global Goal, Unite for Our Futures, spotlighting efforts to combat the impact of the pandemic and fund the development of a vaccine. It also included Vancouver actor Ryan Reynolds in a reunion of cast members from the X-Men film series, along with messages from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and German Chancellor Angela Merkel. Dwayne The Rock Johnson was host. I want you to vote, converse with your peers, follow public health guidelines, and support your communities. You can visit globalgoalunite.org to take action and support. Stay healthy, my friends. Stay vigilant, stay positive, and always stay compassionate. Event organizer Global Citizen, an international advocacy organization, announced a total of $6.9 billion in pledges to fight COVID-19's impact on vulnerable and disadvantaged communities. Canada is pledging $300 million. This was the scene at Belcare Regional Park today. Both White Pine Beach and Sassmat Lake were packed with many would-be beachgoers unable to find parking. Officials are urging anyone hitting the beach to plan alternative transportation. One couple told Global News while there were a lot of people there, everybody seemed to be doing their best to maintain physical distancing. We just did a swim and a walk, so you know, we weren't uh, really mingling with people, but I, there are certainly a lot of people on the beach today. <laughs> it's a bit concerning. I think if we're supposed to be maintaining our physical distance, uh, that's not happening necessarily down there today. And I don't think it's possible to with the size of the beach. So people are walking around quite freely and sitting as families, so I think they're within their, their own bubble, so to speak. 
Protesters in Hong Kong clashing with police today as China's National People's Congress Standing Committee began a three-day meeting. Pro-democracy demonstrators are protesting against the looming national security legislation to be implemented by the mainland Chinese government. The legislation would mean Hong Kong residents could be extradited to the mainland to face its judicial system if accused of a crime. It would effectively end the one-nation-two-system rule that in 1997 was guaranteed to Hong Kong until 2047. The laws are expected to be passed in the next few days. A CFL player is out of a job after he tweeted several homophobic statements overnight. Edmonton Eskimos kicker returner Christian Jones tweeted Saturday night saying men shouldn't be with men and women shouldn't be with women. The tweet has since been taken down, but the sentiments were quickly condemned by many. The team issued a statement saying we stand by the LGBTQ2 plus community and firmly condemn the language used by Christian Jones. There is no place for such commentary on our team. Jones has been released from the roster. He's sending the message that um, that being gay, being queer is wrong. And, you know, it's Pride Month right now. This is a time when we should be um, talking about how it's it's okay to love who whoever you love. This afternoon, he apologized, tweeting, my words were deeply hurtful, painful and served zero purpose. Toronto police have charged a woman following a blatant racial attack on a subway car Friday afternoon. The entire ordeal has pushed the victim to go public in an effort to inspire others. Morgan Campbell has more. Dion Callahan is the kind of woman who makes an impression. The Mount Sinai Hospital employee rides the TTC to work each day. But last Friday, Callahan was the victim of a senseless act. This was a very overt racial attack on me. So it was a bit of shock. Um, and then sadness. Callahan was heading home Friday afternoon when a woman sitting across from her pointed at her and began yelling. She didn't think much of it as she had headphones on and didn't hear what was being said. A few minutes later, the woman took a marker from her child and wrote the N-word on the train windowsill before exiting. Callahan, who was about to celebrate an anniversary with her wife, saw this as she left the train at Victoria Park. After discussing the ordeal, the couple decided to report it to police and the Toronto Transit Commission. I will be a survivor of this person's attack against me and she will be held accountable and I won't stop. Less than 48 hours later, police arrested and charged a woman with mischief and harassment. At this point, they aren't releasing her name out of concerns for her safety. For Callahan, this wasn't about shaming someone publicly. It was about bringing awareness and inspiring others to come forward when things like this happen. This is an act um, that is considered a hate crime and is it is taken seriously by Toronto Police Services, and you should report it. Morgan Campbell, Global News. U.S. President Trump is blasting claims that he knew Russia reportedly offered bounties for killing American troops in Afghanistan. The New York Times says U.S. intelligence officials concluded months ago that Russia offered secret war rewards to Taliban-linked militants for the deaths of U.S. soldiers. Trump tweeted today, Nobody briefed or told me, the vice president or chief of staff, about the so-called attacks on our troops in Afghanistan by Russians. Former National Security Advisor John Bolton, who was forced out by Trump last year, says it's remarkable the president's going out of his way to say he hasn't heard anything.
to me, it looks like uh, just another day at the office in the Trump White House. Uh, I've never uh, uh, recalled a circumstance where the president himself goes out of his way to say he wasn't briefed on something. The New York Times says Trump was told about the intelligence in March and officials developed a potential response but did not act. Russia dismisses the report as nonsense. The Rolling Stones are threatening legal action against Donald Trump, saying they don't want their songs on his political playlist. Living in a ghost town. The band has teamed up with a performing rights organization to stop what they call the unauthorized use of their music at the U.S. president's campaign rallies. They warned that further use could result in a lawsuit and that Trump's campaign has been notified of their intentions. The band's hit, You Can't Always Get What You Want, has repeatedly, repeatedly been played at Trump rallies since 2016. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. We're going to show, the, show you the amazing rescue of one of the largest creatures on our planet, how they did it, and why it shouldn't have happened in the first place. We'll have that right after Yvonne's forecast. But first, have a look. As well. Yeah, southern Alberta was once again hit with severe weather yesterday. Hail covered roads near High River looking more like snow and a little further south near Staveley, golf ball sized hail. The chunks of ice forcing Albertans to run for cover. You know, Yvonne, we've been complaining about our weather lately, but it's not that bad. No, it's not that bad at all. We haven't seen golf-sized hail. In fact, today it really rounded off with some sunshine. It was a gray and wet start to our Saturday. Today, though, it brightened up. This is a beautiful shot. A couple of photos over the weekend, and this was submitted by William, so thank you so much. Another great shot that was taken over the weekend in Vernon, taken by Judy, so thank you so much. Fantastic. The red skies in Green Lake for Maria. And this in our studio, our station rather outside our very own producer Annie Wong. She's not going to like that I mentioned her but this was taken in Burnaby last night. Double rainbow. Uh, saw that in Burnaby as well. Alright. Uh, month of June some of the statistics and precipitation that we've been tracking. Every weekend in June we've had rain either on the Saturday and Sunday. Um, so it, it is coined January sometimes and we did see that. But in fact the precipitation totals were actually close to the average. We bumped up to 52 millimeters so far, the average closer to 54. So we'll continue to see a bit of precipitation potentially towards the end in the next couple of days. And I'll have more on the timeline in just a moment. Here's a quick glance, though, at what we are looking at uh, outside overlooking English Bay. We've got temperatures sitting at 20. The winds are going to ease off, especially overnight. It is going to remain dry. Plenty of sunshine on tap. That's the plan so far on Monday. Dry conditions along the south coast. Still tracking a few thunderstorms, especially for the Thompson Okanagan. They'll die off or taper off this evening. And the northeastern corners and across the central interior, a bit of instability as well. Winds will also ease off. Most areas, though, across the south coast, so it's dry. Plenty of sunshine for tomorrow. There is an increase in cloud cover for the afternoon for the interior should still remain dry and then the blip in the forecast could be late in the day on our Wednesday for Canada Day. Temperatures tomorrow will warm up once again, highs up to 23 with the Humidex, 
feeling closer to 25 and 26 degrees. And a quick glance at the northern half of the province. We do have some showers in the mix for tomorrow. Inland with the instability, risk of a thunderstorm. Northeastern corners of the province, we will be bumping up to 19, risk of a thunderstorm for the afternoon. Most areas across the central interior, it's dry for the morning hours. Cloud cover rolling in and then the chance of showers will be late afternoon and evening. All areas across the south coast or southern half of the province, the interior, sunny start to the morning, increase in cloud cover should remain dry and it warms up tomorrow towards the southern Okanagan of Soyuz up to 27 degrees and Whistler will be up to 24 degrees. Across the south coast, sunny temperatures up to 28 degrees near Nanaimo, Victoria up to 23. The Humidex for the Fraser Valley tomorrow feeling closer to 28 degrees. We've got sunshine over the next couple of days. It's still a few days out on Canada Day so far. Should be dry through the day. We could see some showers popping up. It'll be late in the day so far and then unsettled for Thursday. But for the day tomorrow, heads up, plenty of sunshine. It's going to warm up a hot day in store for us. Colleen? Love it. Thanks so much, Yvonne. We've got some breaking news for you right now. Two BC ferry crews came to the rescue of some stranded boaters this afternoon. It happened late today between Horseshoe Bay and Nanaimo. The Queen of Oak Bay and the Queen of Cowichan were dispatched to help rescue three people trapped on a 21-foot bayliner as the vessel took on water. A Coast Guard boat eventually reached the bayliner and those on board were transferred to Nanaimo to be checked out. Okay, we want to show you how divers freed a sperm whale trapped in a tangled fishing net off the coast of Italy. Have a look at this. Biologists working at a turtle recovery center nearby alerted the Coast Guard to the trapped whale and divers were sent to the scene. Using cutters and knives, they sliced through the illegal net and freed the whale. It swam off apparently unharmed to join three others which were monitored nearby. Boy, oh boy. You know... Some people have very interesting jobs. (laughs) (laughs) What did you do today, honey? Uh, Just freed a whale. (laughs) (laughs) It's a whale of a story. A whale of a story. Come home with. Barry, what are are your whale tales? Uh, Well, I'm going to talk about golf. You know, we always talk about the great shots we make, never the bad ones. But there's some really good shots today at the final round of the Travelers. Mackenzie Hughes was in contention and had a great finish. We'll show you that. And we've got some uh, NASCAR and also FA Cup action. So lots coming up. Two grim milestones in the pandemic. Confirmed cases of COVID-19 around the world have surpassed the 10 million mark, while the virus has now killed half a million people. The U.S. is the worst hit country in the world, with about a quarter of all known COVID-19 cases and deaths. The 10 million figure is roughly double the number of severe influenza illnesses recorded annually. Some countries are partially reinstating lockdowns as they see a resurgence of infections. Experts say that could be a recurring pattern for some time. Canada has recorded more than 100,000 cases and more than 8,500 deaths. China has taken drastic measures to prevent a second wave of the pandemic. When a small cluster of cases popped up in the nation's capital, they took swift and decisive action to stop it from spreading. In China's capital, locked down neighborhoods and ramped up restrictions. Two weeks ago, officials here vowed wartime measures after an outbreak at a huge wholesale food market. The first cluster of a few dozen cases triggering a massive government response with quarantines and cancelled flights. Now, just two weeks later, officials have declared the outbreak contained. 
key to the strategy here is testing a lot of it. There are nearly 500 of these sites across the city that can handle half a million tests every day. I feel safer, she says, after getting tested. Testing sites have cropped up everywhere, on soccer fields and in parks. From that, a list is generated. People are told where and when to show up, and everything is organized right down to the names on the test tubes. Officials say they've tested 8.29 million people since mid-June. That's equal to the population of New York City. So far, just 311 cases are confirmed as positive. Authorities also ruled out big data to track down anyone who might have been at the market. Using aggressive contact tracing, including cashless payment records, GPS and phone calls, authorities built a list of 250,000 potential names and certain job groups across Beijing, like delivery and restaurant workers, even beauty salon operators, were told they had to be tested. Beijing had been reopening, but with this latest outbreak, the hallmarks of pandemic life came back, like closed schools and mandatory masks, a cycle experts say more cities should get used to. Janice Mackey Freyer, NBC News, Beijing. Barry's here now to tee off an excellent sportscast. See what right. I did there? Yes, I did. Very good. <laughs> wasn't obvious or anything. <laughs> we have a little Canadian content in the Gulf. That's always fun. Thanks, Colleen. Uh, Mackenzie Hughes of Ontario needed to go pretty low today in the final round of the Travelers Championship if he was going to capture his second career PGA Tour win. Hughes started the week on fire, shooting a career low 10 under 60 in round one. He has stalled somewhat since then, but still he had a chance to finish on top. The Travelers played in Cromwell, Connecticut, about 15 minutes out of Hartford. Second hole, Hughes gets his round going. Great green view there of the 22-footer that bends in for a birdie, and he gets to 15 under. But like yesterday, got on the par train. Sometimes that's not a bad thing, like when you make a par-saving putt like this one from the fringe, an 18-footer keeps the round alive, made the turn at 15 under. After he bogeyed the par 5 13th, it looked like he could sink out of the top 10, but on 17, look at where he's aiming. 20 feet to the left. I mean, this is a one out of a hundred, even for PGA Tour guys, but this is that one out of a hundred. What a shot by Mackenzie Hughes. That's as good as it gets. Gets to 16 under, then on 18 off the green, not as long, 44 feet away. And do you believe he does it again? Finished tied for third, $436,000 payday. I calculated those last two putts were worth an extra 200000 Not a win, but a great finish for Mackenzie Hughes. Meanwhile, Dustin Johnson started the day two off the lead, but quickly got onto the top of the leaderboard. Eighth hole bends in a long one for birdie. So he's now tied at the top. And then on the next hole, the ninth. Working very nicely. Short iron in hand, sticks one to about three feet. And he would make that for birdie. So Johnson now alone on top at 19 under. 2014 champ Kevin Strillman trying to keep pace. This is a nice approach shot on the 10th. And that would lead to a birdie. Strillman posted 18 under par. Johnson at a topsy-turvy back nine on 14. Going to get the birdie here to get to 20 under and a two-shot lead, but at 16, out of the bunker, and Johnson uh, airmails this one, ends up making bogey, 
and that leads down to a single shot. But on 18, after crushing a 351-yard drive into the wind, Johnson just needs to get down in two right here, and he will almost hold the downhiller, but he didn't need it. He will tap in for the win, the 21st victory of his career. Johnson's now won every year on tour since he started full-time in 2008. Merritt's Roger Sloan finished 66th at even par. Well, the Whitecaps will fly to Orlando on Wednesday in preparation for their first game in the MLS return tournament on July 9th versus Dallas. It has been a long wait for everyone, but especially for sporting director Axel Schuster, who's been on the job for seven months, but has seen his team play just two matches. He cannot wait for their return to the pitch. I don't have the right word because I think I'm excited. It's not good enough for that because uh, uh, I came here. We we had some good ideas how what what we want to change in the first step. So we focused on transfers. We built a team. We tried to build a culture or to improve uh, our culture and our cornerstones. Disappointed about our first appearance at home, but then in in in, in the Galaxy in, in Los Angeles, we we showed again our real face. That was so great, the game, and, and to see the guys, to be in our cornerstones and to have that approach. So it sucked a lot. It sucked a lot that we had to stop. So I can't wait to, to go back onto the pitch and, and, and to show our face and to go on and to, to, to yeah, continue what we started. All right, FA Cup quarterfinals. Manchester United are sneaking through yesterday. Today, Sheffield United and Arsenal battling for a berth into semis. Arsenal led late thanks to a first-half penalty, but in the 87th, it's uh, McGoldrick who will score to tie it 1-1, and Sheffield have life. But all that joy snuffed out in extra time. Arsenal charging. Pepe on the run gets turned back, but Danny Ceballos runs onto it, and from a sharp angle... Finds the back of the net. Arsenal in dramatic fashion win 2-1. They are off to the final four. The first domestic semi-appearance for the Gunners post Arsene Wenger. Leicester City and Chelsea taking a knee prior to their match in support of Black Lives Matter. Scoreless into the second half. Ross Barkley came on as a sub for Chelsea and he is on the business end of this cross from Willian and that was the only goal of the match. Chelsea in search of their first trophy under Frank Lampard will meet Manchester United July 18th at Wembley in one of the semis. Now the last of the quarters, Pep Guardiola's Manchester City versus Newcastle 35th. Gabriel Jesus fouled apparently, went down fairly easily but penalty awarded. Kevin De Bruyne to the spot, and the Belgian does not waffle. That's right, finds the net, 1-0 City. City adds some insurance. Raheem Sterling with style points. Great goal, Man City easily over Newcastle. 2-0 City through to the semis where they will meet Arsenal on July 19th, also at Wembley Stadium. No fans. NASCAR Cup Series, second straight day from Pocono. Now mid-race, Ryan Priest spun out, headed for the inside. Bubba Wallace in the blue 43 car narrowly escapes getting drilled. Mere inches, and here's Bubba's response to the close call. Oh my God! Please give me some underwear for that one. 
<laughs> That's awesome. This race finishing in the twilight because of a late start and a rain delay. No lights at Pocono. Denny Hamlin in the number 11 FedEx Toyota Camry finished second yesterday to Kevin Harvick. Reversed it today. Hamlin takes the victory. Harvick second. Hamlin with his sixth career win at Pocono and a series leading fourth win of the season. And we can only hope that uh, Bubba Wallace did find that extra pair of underwear after the race. Yvonne and Barry are back. Time now for our nightly thanks to our BC Healthcare heroes. Yvonne, who is it? Tonight we are honoring Jenny Lin. Jenny is an operating room nurse at Richmond Hospital. With the cancellation of surgery, she was deployed to work on the medical floor to help during the pandemic. In addition to being on the front lines, Jenny and her family have made surgical caps for healthcare workers and fundraised $500 from the caps to support the food bank in Richmond. Ah, thank you, Jenny, and your team at Richmond Hospital. If you have a healthcare hero to nominate, email us a few pictures to BC Healthcare Heroes at globalnews.ca and tell us why they are your hero. Wow, congratulations to her. Um, we're going to stay with uh, people who are doing uh, going above and beyond. A group of Edmonton medical students has been volunteering to help vulnerable people during the pandemic. And their acts of kindness have inspired other medical students across the country, including here in B.C. Global's Sarah Ryan explains. Because of coronavirus, medical students at the University of Alberta stopped their clinical rotations but they still wanted to serve the community. We couldn't be in the hospital or at the clinic seeing patients or anything, but we thought that if we can reduce the number of patients who are ending, ending up in the hospitals, that would somehow reduce the workload that our frontline workers are facing. So two students from Edmonton, Ria Rana and Enerdeep Mander, decided to start volunteering. Bag Half Full is a volunteer-run uh, grocery shopping and delivery service. We started in March as soon as the pandemic hit, and our main goal is to help seniors and people who are immunocompromised They've been hard at work since and say despite lifting restrictions, demand for their service continues. We're constantly still getting four to five uh, orders every single day. So in Edmonton specifically, we have about 55 volunteers. Most of them are medical school students and we have completed over 300 deliveries. Over the last few months, Bag Half Full has picked up more volunteers across the province in Calgary and Lethbridge but also out east in Ottawa, Toronto and Prescott Russell. Hubs popped up in BC too, Victoria, Prince George and, coming soon, Vancouver. We just got in touch with them and they helped us branch out here. The service launched in Victoria mid-April with 25 volunteers. Before COVID, uh, I I didn't know anybody from any other uh, medical school. The founders are thrilled to see their idea blossoming. We're so happy that we can help out so many different communities. I think it's been very fulfilling and also very humbling at the same time. I think mostly it's just inspiring to be able to help. Sarah Ryan, Global News. How nice. You know, one idea and how it just spreads. Nice to help out. Oh, for sure. And they're getting something out of it as well, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Lovely, lovely. That is the news hour for tonight. Jordan is here at 11. Donna Friesen has the new reality next. Thanks for joining us. Have a good night.